Good morning, church. Good morning, online community. I'm so excited about the women in the workplace. My wife is called by God to be an epidemiologist. Uh, we need Christian women in every sector of society, the media, uh, entertainment, education, uh, business sector. We need them everywhere, uh, bringing the wisdom of God, the um, character of God, the integrity of God, the power of God. And um, God has done world-changing things through, really, the greatest part of his creation, the woman. You know he saved the best for last, right? He created everything, and there's one more, the last thing he did. And Adam said, whoa, man. That's where that came from. All right, so we're in a series right now on courage. Life is hard. Have you noticed? Anybody? Live long enough? Life is hard. And sometimes it's really hard to where you just feel overwhelmed, like too much for you. There's a scripture people quote that I think is an inaccurate quote of the scripture and interpretation of the scripture that God will not give you any more than you can handle. The only place that's found in the Bible is when he's talking about sin that he will not allow you to be tempted with sin beyond your ability to resist, because that wouldn't be fair. But we apply that to life in general, that God will not give you more than you can handle. That's not true. That's why God always partners people up. Moses and, and Joshua, Elijah and Elisha, Paul and Timothy, right? He sent all of his disciples out by two. Even the two blind men knew they needed to hang out together, right? Why do you think that is? Why do you think God always puts people, he takes that like, you know, our, our children that we adopted. The Bible says he takes the solitary and puts them into families. Why do you think God does this? Like this is an open book question here. Oh, there, all right. Uh, well, Mary just preached my sermon. Because we all get discouraged. Okay, come with me. We all get discouraged. The word discouraged means to take away courage. How many of you have ever, ever been discouraged? Raise your hand. Anybody? Okay. All right. Olivia's never been discouraged. Okay, well, that's okay because Jeff has been discouraged with both hands. So he's got you covered. All right. We all get discouraged. Our courage evaporates. Some of the greatest men and women in the Bible, got discouraged. Uh, Elijah allowed fear to go into him when Jezebel attacked him, and his courage left. Joshua needed God to say, be courageous four times in four verses. The disciples dealt with fear all the time. That's why we all need to be encouraged. The word encouraged literally means to impart courage. It literally means you don't have something I have it, and so I'm going to give what I have to you. God is an encourager. God puts courage in his people. But most of the time, he uses people to encourage people. You've got to decide if you're going to be on God's side or Satan's side. Because the devil discourages people 
all day long, every day, and he's going to do it until Jesus smacks him in the mouth and puts him in chains for a thousand years. But between now and then, Satan is out to discourage you. God is trying to encourage you, and so you have got to decide, and I have got to decide to be an encourager, not a discourager. Don't hang around discouragers, right? We get discouraged enough to be hanging around with people who want to take your courage away from you. Choose to be an encourager. Here's what the Bible says about encouragement. Hebrews 3 says this. See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. That means all of us are susceptible to having a sinful heart that turns away from the living God. That's why he says, see to it. He wouldn't have to write this if if it wasn't a temptation. What's the answer? But, everybody say, but... This is one of the big butts in the Bible right here, but, and everybody say encourage, encourage one another. Can you turn my mic down just a tad, Nick? Encourage one another every once in a while, every month, every year. What's it say? Daily. Daily. Why? Because the devil is going to try to discourage you every day. That's why you need a brother or a sister encouraging you every day. And you need to be encouraging a brother or sister when? Every day. It says it right here. As long as it's called today. In other words, as long as we're still here before Jesus returns. So that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. We have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original conviction firmly to the very end. And you're going to need a brother or sister to help you hold your conviction firmly to the very end. Can I hear an amen? Okay, so that's why today we're going to look at five ways you can be an encourager. All right, you ready to go? Five ways you can be an encourager. Number one, your words. Your words, what comes out of your mouth. Look what the book of Ephesians says about the power of words. Don't use foul or abusive language. Yeah, it just disqualified half of you. Let every... I'm kidding. Okay, just turn to your neighbor and say, that was for you. Right there, just go ahead and tell them, that one was for you. Don't use foul or abusive language. Let everything, let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement. Your words will be an encouragement to those who hear him. One translation literally says this, that your words will impart grace. Words aren't just sounds. Words are containers that carry substance. They carry fear. They carry faith. They carry hope. They carry despair. They carry love. They carry hate, hate speech. Words carry substance. Do you know words are so powerful that God created the worlds with words? Then he gave us the power of the tongue. The Bible says that the words, the word of Christ, the gospel is the power of God to salvation to those who believe it. The simple message, Jesus came from heaven to the earth, lived a sinless life died for your sins, rose from the dead, broke the power of death, ascended to glory, coming back one day. If you believe those words, 
you will literally be born again. The greatest miracle under heaven by words themselves. Look at the Bible says in the Proverbs about the power of words. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. How many of you have ever been torn down by somebody's words? The person that came up with sticks and stones will break my bones, but words will never hurt me, was the biggest moron that has ever walked the planet Earth. Or they were in complete denial. My bones will heal, but your words could live with me forever. So can the words of life. That's why we need to speak life to one another. Look what James says about the power of the tongue. Now, if we put bits into horses' mouths to make them obey us, we guide their whole body as well. And look at the ships. Even though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are still directed by a very small rudder wherever the impulse of the helmsman determines. Unless you're like me and you, Kyle, who both ran our sailboats aground. I ran mine into a little island. You ran yours into shallow territory. Okay, I know that was a little private confession you gave to me last time we had coffee, but now everybody knows that. And it's even online, so it's permanent. It's going global. Sorry. In the same sense, the tongue... The tongue is a very small part of the body, yet it boasts great things. See by comparison how great a force is set on fire by a small spark. You say something about somebody, and then they tell somebody, and they, and they go, especially with social media. The very world of injustice and unrighteousness is set on fire by the tongue. The tongue is set among our members as that which contaminates the entire body and sets on fire the course of our life. The cycle of man's existence in itself is set on fire by hell or Gehenna. The Bible says the tongue can separate the best of friends. The troublemaker plants seeds of strife. Gossip separates the best of friends. That's why when people start talking to me about somebody, I'm like, ah, go talk to them. Yeah, but they did it. Go talk to them. Yeah, but you got to go talk to them. Go talk to them. Go talk to them. I'm not receiving it. I'm not doing it. We love it. It's like little tasty morsels to get information. Like my, my daughters, the, 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 the term they use, they walk in from, the, from school or walk in. That, I got the tea. I got the tea, right? What's that mean, Olivia? I got the tea. Huh? The gossip? Yeah. It's tongue in cheek, but... It can become tea. And that's when I just, ah, no, ah, no, ah, no. And I just walk out. Can't do it. Thessalonian church was so discouraged because they were under severe persecution. They had family members who had been killed for Christ. Brothers, sisters, moms, dad, children, friends, church members. So Paul says this to the Thessalonian church. So encourage, everybody say encourage. Encourage each other with these what? Words. What words? About the resurrection of Jesus and his second return. That's why he says we grieve when our loved ones die, but we don't grieve like those who have no hope. 
because we have the hope of eternity. We will see them again. Encourage one another with these words. So number one, say words. words. Say my words. my words. Okay, be very careful with the words that come out of your mouth. Number two is your presence. Sometimes just being there is more powerful than anything you could say. In fact, sometimes saying something makes it worse. <laughs> I, got, I got all sorts of going, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You guys, you're thinking, of, you're thinking of experiences. You know, a friend of mine who's a clinical psychologist was um, horribly abused as a little girl. And she uh, was in about her 40s at this point, and she was uh, a friend of hers. They were sitting in the car in her driveway. Her friend was dropping her off after going out for coffee. And my friend was sitting in the passenger seat just casually telling uh, her friend about her childhood. And she had told the story so many times, right? She had been through therapy. She's a clinical psychologist herself. And as she's telling the story nonchalant, just looking out the window, she feels the car shaking. And she looked over. Her friend had her head on the steering wheel, weeping, shaking the car, weeping so hard. And my friend said, what, what, is that, what's wrong? And she looks up at her and says, that is the most horrible story I have ever heard in my entire life. And my friend starts weeping. She said that brought more healing to her than anything else up to that point. Sometimes just being there is enough. We're not designed to go through life alone. Life's too hard. Did you know this may shock you? Even Jesus needed friends. Let's read it. Matthew 26. Then Jesus went with his followers to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to them, sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, James and John, with him. And he began to be very sad and troubled. He said to them, my heart, this is the son of God, Jesus saying this, my heart is full of sorrow. If you don't think Jesus knows what you feel like when your heart is full of sorrow, you'd be wrong. He feels you. He has felt that. He knows what it feels like. My heart is full of sorrow to the point of death. Jesus, stay here and watch with me. Just, just be with me. Isn't that amazing? The Son of God needed his friends just to be with him in his darkest hour. Ecclesiastes says this, Ecclesiastes 4.9, two people are better off than one, for they can help each other succeed. If one person falls, the other can reach out and help. But someone who falls alone is in real trouble. Christianity is not a solo sport. It's a team sport. Amen? Amen. Okay. First is words. Say words. words. Second is presence. Say presence. presence. Third is your example. Your example. It is so encouraging to others when you stand up for righteousness sake. 
When people are intimidated, they're afraid, they are cowarding back because of their confession of faith or because they want to stand up to do the right thing or be the right kind of person or live godly in an ungodly culture or live for Jesus in a a post-Christian world. When you set an example for others, they're like, oh, here's a great, here's a great example. Oh, one of my favorite stories in the whole Bible and maybe my greatest hero outside of Jesus himself in the entire Bible. Anybody heard of a guy named Jehu? What a great name anyway, right? Jehu. Jehu's coming. Jezebel had already discouraged Elijah, one of the greatest prophets in the whole Bible. Elijah called fire down from heaven, wiped out over 800 prophets of Jezebel, wicked, most wicked queen that Israel ever had. And then she threatens, Je- or threatens Elijah and says, I'm going to kill you. And Elijah let those words go into him and it produced fear, depressed him to the point where he was suicidal, ran off into the desert and asked God to kill him, take his life. Okay. This same woman tried a different tactic on a guy named Jehu. God anointed Jehu and said, go take out Jezebel. So Jehu is riding, it says, furiously on his horse with his band of believers. These guys were tearing across the desert. They saw this dust cloud coming toward Jezreel, uh, where where Jezebel was living, and they get to the castle wall, and Jezebel sees Jehu, and this time she doesn't try to use intimidation. She tries to use seduction. It says she put on her makeup and made herself look beautiful, and she leans out the window to talk to Jehu. Hey, Jehu. And there were some, and there were some eunuchs up in the castle room, in the room looking out the window. The eunuchs obviously are the men who have been castrated so that they could be around this woman who castrated these men. Get it? Get the picture? All right, there's Jezebel who has robbed men of their manhood, not toxic masculinity, but godly strength, manhood. And she tries to seduce Jehu, and he says, who's with me? And these emasculated men saw a real man. They regained their manhood by the example of a real man, a man of God that was not intimidated by a controlling spirit named Jezebel. Jehu says, who's with me? Throw her down. And they're like, whoosh. (laughs) Bam. And the thing is, Elisha earlier had prophesied that one day the dogs would lick up Jezebel's blood. And that's exactly what happened. This Jehu dude, Aiden, he is so bad to the bone. After they threw her out of the window and she hit the ground and her blood went everywhere and she died. You know what Jehu said? Let's go in and eat. I'm hungry. He goes inside. He's eating and he goes, oh, by the way, go bury her. She was a queen. Go bury her in the field. They went out and they said, "Uh, Jehu, there's nothing left of her because the dogs ate her and licked up her blood. The prophecy was fulfilled. I love Jehu. I love me some Jehu. All right. 
I know I'm going to be accused of toxic masculinity, but you just got to discern what's what, because that is not what that is. That's called godliness. 1 Timothy 4.12, do not let anyone, your example, do not let anyone think less of you because you are young. Young people, you guys listen to me, teenagers, middle school in here, you listening to me online? Don't let, everybody say, don't let, don't let anyone think less of you because you are young. Then what do I do? Be an example. Be an example of what? To all believers in the, what you say, the way you live, in your love. You said that today in pre-service prayer. Aiden leaned over and said, I feel like God just said we're supposed to love one another. He's a brand new believer. He doesn't know there's a scripture that says that yet. That was the Holy Spirit flowing through this young man. In your faith and your purity. Be an example to all believers, young people. That's the way people will not be able to think less of you because your life, your life says it all. Philippians says this, there's brothers and sisters, pattern your lives after mine and learn from those who follow our example. How many of you uh, do needle, needle work, needlepoint? You do? You, you follow a pattern, right? And then you put the, so you know where to put the needle, right? Or paint by numbers. <laughs> Gary? <laughs> Watch your words. That's right. I'm so sorry. Hey, thank God for the words of repentance, huh? I'm sorry. But those are patterns. You follow the pattern. Be a pattern for people to follow. Don't be afraid to be a pattern. Don't say, oh, not me. Don't follow my life. Come on. Yes, you want people to follow you. You want to be an example. You are the light of the world. You are the salt of the earth. Don't cower back and say, well, I'm not perfect. Look around and see if you can find a perfect person in this room. Just look around. Go ahead. Oh, no, definitely not you. You, Oh, forget about it. You no. Look in the mirror. Not me, right? There's only one perfect person. Do you know what his name is? All right. It's not you. It's not me. Okay, so... Stop disqualifying yourself from being an example to others. Somebody's got to be an example. I love it when I see uh, movie stars or famous businessmen and women or uh, athletes or other believers that have platform that stand up for the gospel, that they're being interviewed and they're forthright in what they say. It strengthens me. I want to do that too. And here's the truth. You are currently influencing people towards God or away from God right now. Right now, you are influencing people to some measure away from God or toward God. By what you say, by how you behave, what you believe. I was talking to a friend the other day that said, it's so hard when I'm with my group of friends who aren't Christians to not like become what they want me to be. And I said, well, be what Jesus wants you to be, salt and light. I love being in those situations personally. 
I want to shine brighter. I want to love deeper. I want to forgive more. I want to be clearer in my speech about what I believe is true. Take a hit for Christ. Praise the Lord. The Bible says, greater is your reward in heaven, not on earth, in heaven. It says, rejoice when you're persecuted for righteousness' sake. For great is your reward, where? In heaven. Come on, let's live for the other side. Let's not live for this side. My whole passion in life is to look Jesus in the eyes and for him to say, well done, my good and faithful servant. Be an example. And when you mess up, be an example of asking for forgiveness and repentance. One of the ways you can be a great example is the way you suffer. And this last thing I'll say on this point about being an example, because there's so much we could say. But this is really big. What do you mean by that? When you are going through a valley and you choose to worship God anyway, that is an example for others that is more powerful than maybe anything else you could possibly do. Remember Job? Remember Job's wife? Which one do you want to be? Neither, I know. I don't want to be either one of those guys, right? But if you had to choose... Job, for those of you who don't know, suffered probably more than anybody in the entire Bible besides Jesus himself. And yet he said, even if God were to kill me, I will still trust him and praise him. His wife, on the other hand, said what? Why don't you just curse God and die? You know, she wishes that God she could take those words back because they were written down and we've been reading them now for a few thousand years. Look what James says about Job. For, for examples, everybody say example. For examples of patience and suffering, dear brothers and sisters, look at the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. We give great honor to those who endure suffering. For instance, you know about Job, a man of great endurance. You can see how the Lord was kind to him at the end. For the Lord is full of tenderness and mercy. And of course, the greatest example of suffering was jesus himself first peter 2 says this for to this you were called brothers and sisters because christ also suffered for us leaving us an example that you should follow in his steps the last two okay say words Words. presence example and the last two are your prayers and your prophecy and we're going to hit these very quickly and close up your prayers The Apostle Paul says this, pray also for me that whenever I speak my words, that words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador and change. Pray that I may declare it physically or fearlessly, fearlessly as I should. How many of you have ever known what you should do, but you lack the courage to do it? Anybody? Okay. Paul. Paul, the Apostle Paul, caught him to the third heavens, discipled by the resurrected Christ personally, dealt with fear and intimidation. One time he said to this church, I came to you in fear and trembling. He, right here, is saying, pray for me that I can preach the gospel fearlessly as I should. 
I remember I was down in Mexico and hundreds of people were coming to the town and pastors from all over Mexico. And I was the, the apostle that is going to do the convention, preach the main speaker for the next couple of days down here. And I was in my hotel room, just a little small concrete motel room, just me by myself. And this fear gripped me. I was like, who am I? What am I doing here? These people are going to be so disappointed. Like all this faith just left me. And all I had was fear. Have you ever been alone full of fear? It's torment. I was being tormented. But thank God, Mary, I had intercessors who partnered with me and would pray for me whenever I'd go down to minister down there. And I reached out to them. We'd communicate via text. So often, what I was going to preach, they had already prayed before I even knew what I was going to preach. And they'd send it. It would all complement each other, right? This time, man, I was, I didn't know what I was going to do. I called out to the Lord. Got to remove this fear. I know it was the prayers of God's people. I woke up that next morning, and the fear was completely gone. It was supernatural. And I'm telling you, man, I preached like nobody's business. But I knew it was God. Pray for one another to be courageous as you should be. Jesus knew that when Peter was going to be tempted by Satan, try to be taken out by Satan, discouraged by Satan, Jesus knew the thing that Peter needed the most. You know, Jesus did not stop the attack. What did Jesus do when he knew that Satan was going to attack Peter? What did Jesus do for Peter? Let's read it. Simon, Simon, Peter, Peter, Simon, Cider, listen. Satan has demanded permission to sift all of you like grain. But I have, what? Prayed, especially for you, Peter, that your faith and confidence in me may not fail. And you, once you have turned back again, strengthen and support your brothers in the faith. Your prayers will help others be courageous. And the last thing is your prophecy. And this brings us back to words. But these aren't your words. These are God's words. Prophecy. God's words. Now you might say, well, I I can't prophesy. I'm not a prophet. Yes, you can. Prophecy is simply when you believe you've heard something from God for someone and you tell them. That's prophecy. It's God speaking through you. Have any any of you here ever had a, 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 a dream or a vision or a thought or a scripture or an impression for someone else? Yes. Anybody? Yes. And did you go tell them? Yes. And did it hit the mark? Yes. You know how encouraging that is to them? Prophecy. Look what the Bible says about prophecy. It says in um, 1 Corinthians, but one who prophesies strengthens others, encourages, puts courage into them, and comforts them. Just Friday night, we're going to close with this, and we're going to ask God to impart courage into us today, and we're going to make a decision to be encouragers, not discouragers. Amen? Friday, so Friday morning I wake up, I am discouraged. I don't have joy and I don't have strength. 
you know, I'm the primary caregiver for my wife. You know, she's battling cancer and pastoring a church and raising six kids. And, you know, then I have to put up with myself and that's exhausting. And so, you know, sometimes your energy can be depleted, right? Especially when people aren't behaving the way you want them to, right? And you can't control people and you can't control things. And, and you wake up some mornings and you're just, you just don't have any, yeah, uh-huh, mama, yeah, mm-hmm, she's going, mm-hmm, I'm feeling you right now, pastor, I'm feeling you, yeah, yeah, that's why I felt Friday morning, so what do I do, I do what I always do, I just got on my couch, got my coffee, and just Bible bingo, I just let it fall open, boom, talk to me, God, I need encouragement, and so this scripture, the joy of the Lord is your strength. It's like, oh, that's so true. Yeah, I need joy and I need strength. Those are coupled together. I started thinking about it. I was like, is that God talking to me or is that just me doing Bible bingo? And so then I feel impressed to go to another scripture, but it wasn't about joy and strength. I didn't think. And I flip over there and I'm reading it and I'm reading that. I'm like, bam, there it is again. Talking about the, the partnership of joy and strength. I'm like, wow, God's talking to me right now. Then I go to the football game that night, and I'm sitting with, uh, with uh, Phil and Christina and Olivia. They came up to watch uh, Ava, who was dancing during halftime, you know, for the football team. She was on the dance team, and, and Noah was there, and, and uh, Miss Brenda, and Glenda, and Rod. Everybody was there. Where were the rest of you guys? Don't you love my family? You need to come to all of our... Okay, anyway, so we're all just sitting there. And Phil and I were just, you know, yucking and yucking and yucking it up. And then all of a sudden he turns to me and he goes, you know what? God was talking to me about how joy and strength, how they go together. And he was talking about being joyful and not losing my strength. And Christina was talking to me about the joy of the Lord and how to get the joy of the Lord. And he did not know he was prophesying. You see, many times God will use you and it seems so natural and normal, you don't even know you're being used by God. And he, I just let him go because it was the voice of God. I always listen for a voice in the voice. I don't care if it's a believer, an unbeliever, a child, grandma, grandpa. I don't care. Hey, God prophesied through a donkey so everybody gets to play. Come on, you know you're better than a jackass, right? Well, I mean, come on, that is a term for a donkey. I wouldn't say something. Church. You qualify to be used by God. You just sitting there minding your own business and God will use you like he used Phil Friday night at the football game. And after you got done, I said, you were just used by God and you don't even know it. That's so cool, isn't it? Come on, let's stand. I'm going to ask you right now, Put your hand over your heart and then put your other hand up toward God. But you've got to, I'm going to lead you in this confession, but you've got, it's got to be from your heart or it's not real. I'm going to ask you to make a commitment right now to be on God's side and to be an encourager. Uh, somebody told me a story yesterday about this, this, this mom who has a young girl that's in an abusive relationship. She lives in a home where the husband or the boyfriend constantly criticizes her all day long. 
tell her, tells her she's fat and ugly and stupid. Her food's awful. You know, throws things. Sometimes may be physically abusive. And I'm sitting there and I just started tearing up. I'm like, what a horrible, horrible environment for a human being to be in. It happens all the time. I was thinking, we need nine words of encouragement for every criticism. That's what psychologists say. Our psyche is weak. We need to be encouraged. I'm calling. I'm challenging you today, brothers and sisters in Christ. I'm challenging you. Commit to being an encourager from this moment forward for the rest of your life. And the words you say, being there for a friend, your example, your prayers, and your prophecy. Will you raise your hand and say to the Lord right now, Dear God, I commit to be an encourager, not a discourager. Help me watch my words. Help me be there for my friends. Help me be an example to follow. Remind me to pray for my friends. And God prophesy through me. So people can be encouraged. In Jesus' mighty name. And everybody said amen. Amen. Come on, let's worship. my words for sure I've got nothing new I've got nothing new How could I express all my gratitude I could sing these songs as I often do Every song must end, and you never do. So I throw up my hands, praise you again and again. All that I have is a Nothing else 
your tongue. The Holy Spirit will do that. Or maybe you've never given your life to Jesus before and you want to come yield your life to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. You know, there uh, in pre-service prayer, the presence of God, the holiness of God, the reverence of God so fell on that place. It's in that kind of an atmosphere of God's presence that that your tongue gets sanctified. Some of you may need a restoration of holy fear. So it's not just willpower, it's God power. James says you can't control your tongue, but God can. So you might need to come up and say, my, my tongue's been a sword. I need it to be a, I need to be, I need it to be, I need to give life to others. Maybe you need a physical healing in your body, restoration of your soul, whatever it may be. You're welcome to come up as we continue to worship the song, the music is going to be very soft so we can hear your prayer need. The prayers can pray for you. Just move from your seat. Come up for prayer. Uh, for the rest of you, God bless you. Thank you for coming today. May God's peace, God's presence, God's smile, God's favor rest upon you all week long as you go out to be an 
encourager in Christ's name. Amen. Amen and amen. Amen and amen.